Hey, listeners, it's December 7th, and you guessed it, it's Tom Waits' birthday. Now, you may or may not know that I occasionally do a bit where I drag a stool around a stage. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can find it on YouTube. That bit is actually referenced in this episode. Now, how does this connect to Tom Waits? Well, there's a blogger named Ray Paget who first made the connection between me and Tom. Tom has said in an interview, quote, I like sounds that are not conventionally considered music. We were in the studio doing swordfish trombones, and we were already trying to find our own musical galaxy. While I was there, someone was fixing a mic and dragging a chair across the floor, and it made the most beautiful sound. And I was thinking, geez, that's as musical as anything I heard all day and I'm here to make music. So maybe I should be paying more attention to the things that are outside what we think we're here to do. So there you have it. From Tom Waits himself, dragging stools is an art form. Happy birthday, sir. Now on with the show. I remember you did an impression of me years ago, and it was physical. I remember you put your foot up on a a stool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would push the stool around, yeah. And then you did the impression of my impression, and you ramped it up where you were like... (laughs) (laughs) How is that an impression of me? This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro, your trusted advisor, leaving you none the wiser. Joining me now is a comedian and actor known for his impressions of Bernie Sanders and George W. Bush. His credits include Harley Quinn, American Dad, BoJack Horseman, amongst many others. James Adomian, my dear old pal, welcome to Don't Ask Tig. Oh, man, this is awesome. This is awesome. It's been too long. Well, I did see you fairly recently. Yeah. And I can't remember where that was. It was probably at the uh, Greek theater taping. Ah, that's where it was. And that's what triggered my brain. And I was like, ah, I should have James on my podcast. And before I saw you at that taping, it had been quite a few years since I had seen you. Yeah, I ran into you in the Larchmont area mm-hmm. outside of a very healthy restaurant. Yes. Cafe Gratitude. Yes, Cafe Gratitude. I frequent plant-based restaurants. Are you vegan? You're not vegan. I'm not vegan, but I, I play one on TV. I mean, I, I'm not afraid of eating a vegan meal at a restaurant sometimes. And I love Cafe Gratitude, how they have the positivity propaganda in all the names of everything. Yes. Is that what you were there for? I'm there mostly because I'm down and I need to be picked up by the names of the dishes. <laughs> so you're like, instead of ordering like a burrito, you're like, I am I am resplendent. Yes, you have to and, say uh, that. And I'll have a side of uh, I am worthy. Mm-hmm. What is this, a commercial for Cafe Gratitude? <laughs> Ultimately, right? I would love it if there was some really angry guy there who was like, I've been waiting on my I am grateful for over 30 minutes. <laughs> 
There probably has been. I remember when they first opened some guy from the back that didn't understand the silliness around delivering food because they bring the food to your table and they say, you are magical and then hand you your order that is named that. And this guy from the back came out and he, and it was a table next to us. And he just said, you are a burrito. And then he (laughs) ran off and went back into the kitchen. (laughs) It was pretty incredible. That's a high compliment. (laughs) To be called a burrito. Yes. Well, my friend, the burrito, IndieWire called you the podcast world's man of 1,000 voices. You've impersonated a huge range of people from Gary Busey to Mark Marin, which, by the way, I would love to hear your Mark Marin. Yeah, man, I, I'm done. I, I, I got nothing. What do you want? What do you want? I, <laughs> I, don't ask. Take, don't ask Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been on Mark's show? Yeah, a long time, like. 10 years ago, I was on. Uh-huh. I was pretty young. Has he heard the impersonation? Oh, yeah. One time back in the old days at UCB, we were at a show and, you know, I had been like making fun of him before he got there in the green yeah. room. And then I'm like, I left the room and come back and Mark's there. Uh-huh. He just says, I heard you do an impression of me. Do it on stage tonight. I want to see it. <laughs> Did so, he like it? Yes. Uh Mark Marin is the first and only time that someone I did an impression of has given me like notes. Usually it's either like, hey, wow, you got me or like, how dare you? There was nothing like me. But Mark Marin was like, yeah, that was funny. That was funny. You said something. What was that thing you said? You said something (laughs) about a stool. And I was like, yeah, I said, uh, I'm a brain suffering on a stool. And he goes, see, that's not exactly it. I'm not just sitting there suffering. I'm also giving back. He was like coaching me on how to do an American impression the right way. That's great. Who is your favorite? Who do you enjoy uh, most to mimic? Um, it shifts over time with whatever's happening, you know, in the world and the news. But right now I'm doing uh, Mike Lindell a lot, the My Pillow guy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'd play him on Jimmy Kimmel. How is it that that's world events? What's going on in the world? It's me, Mike Lindell from My Pillow, your trusted source of information about election and our democracy. <laughs> democracy is like a fine pillow. It's full of stuff you never see and you don't want it to pop open. Have you met him? I would love to hear his notes. I did meet him. How do you meet him? Well, he was on Jimmy Kimmel at the same time I was. Ah, okay, there you go. I was like prepared for him to be uh, difficult uh-huh. or hostile or something. But he was like a little boy that had gone to Disneyland for the first time. He was like, oh, gosh, wow, you sure got me. Whoa, wow. (laughs) I remember you did an impression of me years ago. You'd put your foot up on, like, the edge of a chair and, like, lean over. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that where we are? You guys think that's enough of a reaction? (laughs) It's also same as the Todd Berry impression, but meaner. That's right. That's how you do Tick the Tar. I'm meaner than Todd? I mean, that's the persona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have notes for you, just so you know. Ironically, it involves a stool as well. Yeah, when I see you again in the next, I don't know. We're on a two-year schedule. Yeah, if not more. Now, you found a lot of success, James, in your impressions of politicians. And obviously, you're a comedian. So are you a political comedian? I would hate to be called that because that's kind of like a way of advertising that you're not funny. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I'm a political comedian. See, come see how I roast both sides. 
my nightly show here in the back of a restaurant. I mean, I just kind of can't avoid it because they're like very famous people that everyone knows who they are. So that's kind of what you want if you're doing an impression of somebody. Right. And do you just naturally follow politics or are you doing it for the material? I used to more than I do now. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I would say I, uh, you know, it's just politics won't leave me alone. You try not mm-hmm. to pay attention and then it's just like, <laughs> you have to. What is the impression you have worked so hard on and you can't quite nail it and it drives you insane and you wish you could? It's a good question. Thank you. <laughs> That's a tough one because I've burned those notes. I don't know. I guess I feel like sometimes if somebody has done something a lot before I got to the table, yeah, you know, maybe a TV show or a cartoon will try to get me to do something. And I sometimes I will if it's like if I'm hired on a cartoon or something and they're like, do an Al Pacino impression. But I really don't. <laughs> it's not where I need to be, you know? Yeah. Gucci. Gucci. Yeah. you like, do you need to see that? <laughs> Gucci's me. Gucci Gaga. <laughs> Nobody needs it. Nobody needs it. I need it. I need it for numbers. <laughs> now, you made a video called Bernie versus Bernie that featured you doing your impression alongside the real Bernie Sanders. Yeah. What was that like? It was interesting. He kind of <laughs> he kind of didn't want to be there. Uh-huh. But his team close around him really wanted him to do it. And yeah. we're recording and I'm just deliberately starting off by going like <clears throat> Okay. You want to do this? Are we ready? Five, four, three, two. Okay. You don't look good. You don't look so good yourself. And uh, he's kind of like, how can we get through this as fast as possible? His wife was dying. His wife loved it. So I was like, all right. If his wife (laughs) likes it, then that's all that really matters. Right. And I know that when people do characters, they'll say sometimes like, ah, oh, there's a little Fred Flintstone in there. There's a little Bernie Sanders in there that, you know, and they cobble things together. Who is in Bernie Sanders? <laughs> Look, you think the top 1% of the top 10%. It's like the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland got very boring. <laughs> oh, very merry on birthday to you. Look, we're not going to celebrate anybody's on birthday. We are here for the American people to have equal access to all 365 days to come. Were you self-conscious at all to like wear such a crazy wig? It's actually right. I think for that, I had a, a wig that I had placed on and maybe even like pinned in. Sometimes when I was filming things like during the tour I did or the election, I would actually, uh, for filming a lot of stuff, yeah. I think in 2016, uh, I would like shave my head completely and then wow. just put two white clouds on the side. Cumulus <laughs> <laughs> clouds on the side of my head. I'm... I am simultaneously completely bald and I have more hair than anyone else who's ever been in the United States Senate. <laughs> Your hand movements are painfully hilarious nobody can see that but they know what's happening yeah there's like invisible slide rules that he's doing number calculations (laughs) in his mind doing his percentages yes that's exactly what it is i was thinking it was finger painting but you're right he's sliding uh, (laughs) an abacus the top 10 percent of the top one (laughs) percent controls more than the top one percent of one percent come on (laughs) All right, James, 
This is an advice show. Let's slide on into that. Sure. Are you excited to give listeners some advice? No. Okay. But I feel duty-bound. You are on the right show. This first question is from a listener with a novel dilemma. Fred writes, My friend and I are both aspiring writers, both writing our own books and encouraging each other along the way. The trouble is, my friend finished his book, gave it to me to read, and I hated it. He keeps asking what I thought, and I lied and said I was so swamped and haven't had time to finish it. He wants an endorsement from me, and I just can't bring myself to endorse a book I think is terrible. I want to stay friends with him. What should I do? Well, I have an an answer to this that's too easy because it's happened to me, but most of the people who've asked me to write a blurb for a book Mm -hmm. know that it's like a comedic thing. So then you could just send in a blurb that's like, I didn't read this book and it's bad. But uh, I see I see the author at parties, and so and, and so to get them off my back, I'm telling you that you should buy it. Yeah, and that's might not work if this is a serious academic or work of fiction, you know. Yeah, I get the vibe from Fred that he's not clowning around. It feels very earnest. And when I read this, I just thought, oh God, that is tricky. I know, I know. One is. Uh, it's a writing challenge. You're being challenged as a writer mm-hmm. by the gods of the pen. Mm-hmm. And this is a blurb for a book <clears throat> that you don't like is a chance to hone your skills at damning praise, where you praise it in very vague, uh, milk toast terms so that the person whose book it is might be like, oh, thank you. That means so much. But then other people might be like, yikes. It kind of reminds me of I've gone to see a friend's band and I thought maybe they were terrible. And the best I could come up with was, man, you guys were rocking up there. (laughs) And that's true. You know what I've gotten as a performer? You know, like the kind of compliment that's the worst. Mm -hmm. It's like the most damning you suck compliment I ever got after a show was this British guy in Montreal who was like, most of that was pretty good. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's that's the worst criticism anyone's ever given me. <laughs> Most of that was pretty good? Yeah, you could do a blurb like that. Try that. Oh, my. Most of it was pretty good. Yeah, or be brutally honest and be like, the introduction to this book is one of the most important 10 pages that I have come across my desk in the last two years. Here's a happy medium, I think. This is tricky. First of all, anyone listening, don't ever do this with your friend. Learn from Fred. Don't do this. Okay, unless it's like a an established writer where you know, or a comedian or a, somebody that you know that they're material or a musician where you're like, I, I'm going on something here. They're going to be good. This I feel like you might have to say that maybe it's not really your style of genre, the whole not my cup of tea thing. Oh, that's a good one. And that you maybe don't know that you're the right person to give a passionate gotta read this, but 
maybe just respond with any sort of notes you might have that are specific to it. Because even if you hate it, is it maybe good? You know? You could make it an unusable blurb also. Mm-hmm. And just act like you didn't understand the assignment and be like, well, I think you made a tremendous effort here. And this could be a very important work. I think this, 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 and this should be addressed. Thank you. Good luck in the future. Lose my number. I feel like if Fred and his friend are this close where they're working and encouraging each other along the way, I think the friend's just going to come back and say, great, but can you endorse the book? It makes me wonder, are these known writers? Because if you get a friend that endorses you... This is Noam Chomsky. (laughs) The friend is Noam Chomsky and he just doesn't like, the Fred doesn't like the book. But I'm just saying, like, if Fred isn't well-known and he endorses it, who's going to care? Right. Yeah, you could play that up. Or, you know, Fred might be somebody that's coaching a bunch of other people along, other friends and writers. Maybe he's in other writers' groups. And um, you can't be giving nonstop blurbs. I don't know. I don't know. You can't be endorsing every book that comes across your table. Yeah, you could make up some conflict of interest. Like, actually, according to my book group, I'm not allowed to do any blurbs without their full approval of the panel. And they're not meeting again until the plenary session in December. (laughs) (laughs) What a strict book club. Right. They sound like a lot of fun. (laughs) Fred, I'm getting the feeling James wants you to just flat out lie to your friend. Right, James? Yeah, or you could make up a pen name and be like, I'm happy to endorse this book, but I'm just so you know, I'm transitioning all my work to this pen name. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. But only use it for that. (laughs) Yes. And then bail on that and say, "Ah, it didn't work for me. And then go back to Fred. The pen name should be like Ron DePlume. And his only known work is the blurb for this book. (laughs) Fred, I'm sorry, but this is what James and I think you should do with your friend's terrible book. All right, James, it's time for a short break. Then we'll be back with more questions. Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Way basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Way with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Rowe, Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. You can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos. And even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. 
Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. James, this next one was sent in by Paula. Paula writes, Hi, Tig. I recently saw a meme that said, by age 30, you should know three people you are terrified to run into at the grocery store. And yikes, that is so true. My question to you is, how do you handle those awkward run-ins with people you'd rather not see? I was just talking to my therapist about this because there are people socially or People that I've worked with over the years where I'm just like, I find this person dreadful or they were just horrendous. I don't want to keep any bad blood going, but I need to know how to, you know, tip my hat, say hello and keep going when uh, I just don't feel that way. What do you do, James? Uh, Here's the thing. Even if you hate somebody, you don't have to have a fight every moment. Oh, good to know. And you can be like, (laughs) yep small world and just zip along it's almost like you can like wink and like shake hands and be like yep it's awkward for both of us that we ran into each other like this yep this is Uh, unfortunate bye-bye i actually like a week ago turned a corner and ran like physically ran into someone that i just hate oh literally like i was turning around a corner so was he and we were like oh and then i was just i laughed and i was just like (laughs) well it kept going. Oh my gosh. It's true. I mean, I've certainly at parties and events run into people where I'm just like, oh God, this person is the absolute worst. And I know they feel the same about me. And it's just, you do have to just kind of. Uh, it was Todd Glass. <laughs> I turned a corner, ran into Todd Glass. And he was like, oh my God, you know what? Just honestly, honestly, seriously, to, to George Garland. <laughs> I was like, no thanks. Not today, Satan. That is a really good Todd Glass. One of the funniest people. He's so funny. I was talking to Tig. I was talking to (laughs) Tig. And I have this problem, too. And I know you do. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Paul, basically just, you know, fake smile and push through. What else can you do? You know, that's all you can do. You don't want to stop and fake conversation. Just do an awkward hello and keep it moving. So... You know what I always loved was the Looney Tunes cartoon where uh-huh. it's not Wiley e. Coyote. It's this like character that looks like Wiley e. Coyote that's a wolf. And then there's the sheepdog and it's Frank and Sam. And their job is that they fight each other all day. Mm-hmm. Like the sheepdog is like punching the wolf and stuff and the wolf yeah. is trying to get around him. But they show up like workers at a factory with their like lunch boxes uh-huh. and they clock in and go, morning, Sam. Morning, Frank. <laughs> And then they clock in, and as soon as they clock in, then they're fighting. Really? 
And then when they're done fighting, they clock out and they're like, well, see you tomorrow, Sam. Yeah, see you tomorrow, <laughs> Frank. And I always love that because it's like you can compartmentalize conflicts that way. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's the best anybody can do is just compartmentalize it, clock in, clock out. Well, socially, Paula, just do your rigid hello and keep it moving. Okay, let us know if that works. James, do you consider yourself a fashionable person? Yeah, can't you you tell? Absolutely. That's why I asked. I look like a disgraced writer. That's right. That's why I asked. And you are a disgraced writer. And I've I've even got this. I mean, this is all, this is the hit on the runways of Milan. James is showing how his shirt is separating between the buttons. Between the two top buttons. Yeah. It's a good look. Our next listener needs some fashion advice. Sure. This is why I asked if this was up your alley. Catherine writes, I'm a brand new 25-year-old psychotherapist. I've been practicing for less than a year, and every day as I get ready to go to the office, I struggle to choose an outfit. What does a kind, trustworthy therapist wear? Help. (laughs) James, do you go to therapy? Uh, I have. I should. It's been a while. Can't find one. Um, I'm in the market. Okay. Well, Catherine maybe can help you out. And this is maybe my chance to like fashion a fantasy therapist for myself also. My therapist wears, you know, that welcoming, comfortable, relaxed, come in and meditate type vibe person. Yes. Not that she says come in and meditate, but I imagine she probably meditates. Does she have tea sometimes when she's doing sessions with you? (laughs) She doesn't, but I imagine she does drink tea But I did think you asked, does she have teeth? (laughs) And just for the record, she does have teeth. (laughs) Does she sit like cross-leggedly sympathetic across from you? I think she does. But since the pandemic, it's all been on Zoom. So I don't really know what's going on, you know, neck down. The way I could crack this case is I would probably say the way for me to get into it would be to imagine the worst thing a therapist could wear and then like reverse engineer back from that. Mm-hmm. What's the worst? Like a football uniform? <laughs> that would be a terrible experience if somebody had on a helmet, cleats, and even dirt on their cleats, you know, grass stains on their knees. And they're like, so last time we were talking about <laughs> commitment. And, and it's a woman. It's like a a 65-year-old woman in a full football uniform. That's terrible. So she walked on as a kicker, and she's also still actively a therapist. So she just has one bar around her helmet. One bar on the helmet. Yeah. So, Catherine, don't do that. I would think like a a Winnie the Pooh sweatshirt. Anything with like a comforting logo. Mm. Um, See, to some people, that wouldn't be comforting. But if it's not, if it's like Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore and Christopher Robin and Tigger and uh, the whole Winnie the Pooh gang. On a sweater. On a sweater. That would make you feel comfortable, James. No, I don't like that. I don't want that. Leaning too much into like coziness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no football gear, no Disney clothes. <laughs> We're we're establishing some very distant boundaries. Yeah. I would say not great looks in general. 
What about like a very formal like business suit? I wouldn't mind that. But with like a Sandra Day O'Connor kind of like Supreme Court justice white tie, maybe even judge robes. <laughs> Just judging not, you? With a gavel. I have a gavel right now. Why? In my hand. Why do you have that? I have a gavel on my desk and I hold it whenever I'm doing podcasts. I just want to imagine that throughout the day, you're doing your work, you have NPR on in the background, and if you hear a story that you agree with, you go, yep. Yep. (laughs) That's the one. Catherine, this is a lot of nonsense, and I just want to apologize. We've really gotten off topic here. I would say probably you should be comfortable. Whatever it is that you're going to wear, I would say wear clean clothes, but... If you look uncomfortable or something's out of place with your look, it's probably going to be a little distracting and uncomfortable for whoever's seeking your help. That would be what I would suggest is to maybe have some professionalism, but comfort. What about someone with like a band merch shirt that has a list of cities and dates on the back of their most recent tour? (laughs) Metallica 2018. (laughs) Now, that's not professionalism, James. All I want to see is these therapists in action. (laughs) Would you prefer a therapist that had Disney or Metallica? Metallica. Same. Yeah. All right. Catherine, one good thing about doing podcasts is you don't have to worry about clothing choices. So this is your problem, and I wish you all the best. Good luck with your therapy practice. James, this last listener question comes from Abby. Abby writes, Hi, Tig. My partner and I are excited to have kids together one day, but made the mistake of sharing our idea for a baby name with the family. Specifically, her sister's reaction was to ban us from using the name. Her reason? It was the name of the main character in a short story she wrote in the seventh grade. Now she's saying she wants our baby name for her first child. I think this is completely ridiculous, but she's totally serious and might have a baby before we do. Tig, what should I do? Oh, she wants to save this name Mm -hmm. for her kid, and she doesn't want to have two cousins or whatever that have the same name Mm -hmm. born around the same time. Well, f***. There's no reason you have to stay family. (laughs) That's right. Is that a harsh thing to go straight to that? I think you should name your child what you want to name your child. And there's always middle names, and there's always nicknames. So when your partner's sister's kid comes over, you can kind of have a a nickname for the kid and just call that kid by the nickname you've come up with. James, what do you think? Yeah, pointedly refuse to honor the name that they give their child and be like, hello, thank you for joining us, child one. Hey there, little stinky one. Hello, little stinky. What's your feeling, James? I've seen families go through this where there was like outrage and politics about some baby's name. Oh, gosh. First of all, this comes to mind. If someone's already fighting over a name, you could consider maybe that means that name is going to be too much on the popular end already, where they might end up going to school with five other people with the same name. Mm -hmm. If people are already sort of intersecting at the same idea. That's true. 
a lot of those things go generationally. And, you know, there's a popular name for like five years and then it goes away. And then there's another name that's all the rage. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming the child's name is like Worcestershire. Right. You can only assume. Or double down and be like, nobody's the boss of me. Ooh, that's good. What's the sample name? What's the name that they're fighting over, we imagine? Otis. Okay, so then my child's name is Otis, Otis, Otis Von Otis. Mm. And you even make it their last name. That's really good. <laughs> I'm on James's side on this. Abby, this is just what we're throwing at you. I hope it's helpful. My feeling is you should name the kid, what you want to name the kid. And maybe you come up with a nickname or a middle name. You can figure this out. But as James said in the beginning, I mean, cut them off, right? Yeah. Cut these people out of your life. (laughs) If you put the hand over your mouth like that on a podcast, only half the audience hears it, right? I know. If that, if that, (laughs) but cut them out of your life. (laughs) James, before I let you go, we have one final segment. It's called Don't Ask Your Heroes. Oh, God. Everyone always says, don't meet your heroes. But what about asking your heroes for advice? Mm -hmm. Don't Ask Your Heroes is the part of the show where we imagine what your hero might have to say about a particular question that's on your mind. Now, I'm certain you might have maybe more than one, if you even have a hero. I don't know. Maybe you're like, without a hero. And maybe you have several. My actual literal hero is Batman. Okay, that's perfect. If you could ask Batman one advice-related question, what would you ask? Wow. And this is like a real-life Batman, not any particular portrayal by an actor. This is like Batman who lives in New York. (laughs) This is the actual Batman, yes. And he has problems with most of the movies and comic books. Yeah. Um, I would ask Batman about how should I navigate my personal life as myself and then a public life as characters that I play, the masks that I wear, so to speak. Mm -hmm. What is the healthiest way to navigate curating a persona that is a fun persona to play mm-hmm. versus, you know, you got to be a person and live your life, you know, best practices, best practices, policies of uh, a beloved persona that you inhabit sometimes. I like it. And James, what do you think Batman would say? Well, first he would be like, how did you get this number? <laughs> Um, he might not be the right person to ask about it. Why? Because it would probably be that kind of like heroic prose uh-huh. from like a monologue where he'd be like, you dedicate your nights to the mask and your waking days are for your rest. I it would probably be some kind of like questionable, maybe even arguably like far right ethos about hiding who you really are to get to find out who you truly are. Now, wait, far right. Do you think Batman is? Batman does seem like uh, he's a rich guy. He's certainly not. Bruce Wayne doesn't show up at a lot of protests. I'll put it that way. No. <laughs> Bruce Wayne doesn't like write the National Lawyers Guild number on his arm when he shows up to a protest just in case he gets arrested. <laughs> what makes him your hero? I don't know. I was being flippant and now I'm locked into it. 
Oh, I believed you. Is this bad? It's bad, man. <laughs> Thank it's not, you. It's not bad. It's bad. Oh. There right. is no good and bad. There's only good and bad. It seems like every screenwriter who's like, they're like, it's my turn. Like every five years, a new screenwriter's like, <clears throat> now it's time for my Batman. And then yeah. it's like, how many like motivational you can do it books are piled up on their desk? And like, <laughs> it's like books of quotations from Sun Tzu and Sir Francis Bacon. Are you an actual fan of Batman? Uh, I like his early work. Yeah. <laughs> I like his early work. You know, I wish he played more of the hits. Well, James, I have sad news, and this episode has come to an end. Damn. But it has been a delight to have you and to see you again. Yeah, it is. And you were so funny when we um, did that show together at the Greek Theater. It was very fun to see you perform again. I hadn't seen you in years. Yes, and your fireman story rescue was great. Well, That was great. Part of it was kind of good. What is that? <laughs> Most of that was pretty good. <laughs> Most of that was pretty good. Do you have any uh, anything you'd like to promote? Looks like I'm going to be in Palm Springs in December at the Agua Caliente Casino. That'll be a hoot. You know, something I'd like to promote, too. I've been talking about this on social media a bit. And my earnest advice to anybody who's interested in helping Armenia at this time should go to the Armenian National Committee of America. They have a website anca.org slash 907 to see a few simple things that can be done to help Armenia and or even just keep up with what's going on. Amazing. Well, thank you for that, James. And uh, I cannot recommend enough that Don't Ask Take listeners check out James Adomian if you're not familiar. And if you are familiar, well, then scroll on through the hits over the years. <laughs> thank you again for coming on the show. It was great to see you, James. Yeah, I'll see you out in front of Cafe Gratitude very soon. Yes, you will. Alrighty, bye-bye. I am grateful. Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette and Shana Deloria. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Alex Simpson. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Our theme music is Friend in Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavadi, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. 
Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, <laughs> we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool.